All right, we are back. We have so many obituaries to do. I don't know what to do about that. Tony Curtis has passed away. We didn't talk about it. Edwin Newman has passed away. We didn't talk about it. We did get to Eddie Fisher. You know, I don't feel like doing any obits today, so we won't. Except to note perhaps an obituary for the atmosphere of the planet Mars. Article in the San Francisco Chronicle last weekend by David Perelman notes that scientists at Berkeley's Space Sciences Laboratory, along with others from the University of Colorado, will fly aboard an orbiting spacecraft called MAVEN. That's the Mars Atmosphere and Volatile Evolution. And I can't, why do they have to do acronyms? They should do like the Russians and call it Mars 8. Anyway, the, the Berkeley instruments are including detectors that are designed to detect the solar wind of energetic subnuclear particles that speed from the sun and that pass near the Martian surface because there is this great mystery of what happened to the air on Mars. We know that in the distant past, it was, just, it was dense enough to hold life-giving liquid water on the surface, but almost all of it disappeared billions of years ago, and we, we do need to find out why. We're going to, I think, have to bring on Robert Lynn, described as UC physicist and former director of the Space Lab, to talk about this. There's a belief that because Mars doesn't have a magnetic field like we do here on Earth, uh, the global wind may be stripping away its atmosphere. And if you want to see a really cool movie of the uh, solar wind, and who doesn't, go to the NASA website, science.nasa.gov, and pick up the images of what happened to Comet Enki back in 2007. Now, perhaps you've never heard of Comet Enki unless you're an astronomer. It was the second comet to get a name after Halley's Comet. Frankly, Comet Enki isn't, isn't much of a comet. It never gets very bright and puts on much of a show in the sky. It is distinguished, however, by being the shortest period comet known. It loops around the sun every 3.3 years, compared to the 75 or so years for Comet Halley. Comet Enki loops out past Mars, but comes in closer than Mercury. But uh, three years ago, NASA's Stereo A probe was looking out into space and uh, taking a look at Comet Enki when a coronal mass ejection blew off the surface of the sun and intercepted this little ball of ice. And as you'll see in the video, and and I do hope you'll do this, so (laughs) they've got this movie that shows the comet's tail being ripped off. It's, It's really quite dramatic. And the scientists think this takes place not because the the matter that's in this mass ejection uh, struck the comet so much as the magnetic field that was blown off the surface of the sun uh, did the damage. Anyway, check it out. The site's science.nasa.gov, but if you just Google uh, Comet Enki, that's spelled E-N-C-K-E, I think you'll find it. All right, we were critical on this program about the really poor coverage given to the BP oil spill, at least in terms of the fact that uh, the estimates of how much oil was spewing out were clearly, clearly being grossly underestimated. Article by Jay Reeves in the Associated Press. Article notes that while the BP oil spill lingers, the news media has moved on. We'll continue to follow this disaster, but we have a new one in the meantime that's deserving of mention. Uh, Apparently over in Hungary... It's considered an acceptable practice to uh, store behind dams the waste product of uh, the manufacture of aluminum. 
Apparently, this bunch of red sludge, which is a byproduct of refining bauxite into alumina, the basic material for manufacturing aluminum, uh, was let to dry, I guess, in these ponds, where it's considered relatively non-toxic. It was described in the AP as largely safe red clay, as opposed to, I guess, largely safe dynamite or <laughs> largely safe rattlesnakes. No, the, the dam that was holding this back cracked, and, uh, as, and, as, and this, this waste product has killed at least seven people that we know of. And uh, authorities seem kind of vague on what's in it. We know it's got toxic levels of heavy metals. We know it apparently has cyanide in it. And it's, we know it's got a pH, an alkalinity level that's rather hair-raising. Local waterways, according to these news stories, measured a pH of 13.5 which I think is about what you would get if you put lye or Drano into a bucket. These news reports were saying, well, the slurry, when it enters the Danube, well, the, the pH there is down to under 9. This is not too bad. Well, it depends entirely on how far under 9 it is, because 9 ain't too good. This raises the question, how can we allow storing toxic waste out in pits like this? It's like this story about the Asian carp which is now threatening to take over the Great Lakes. Why is it here? Well, they were growing the carp in ponds. And of course, there's no possibility it would ever flood in the Midwest and see the contents of the ponds going into the Mississippi, right? That, of course, is exactly what's happened, and the carp have worked their way all the way up to be knocking on the door of Lake Michigan. There's a canal that connects the Mississippi to Lake Michigan, and the carp are there, and if once they get in the Great Lakes, there's going to be hell to pay. Why do we allow this? Why do we allow factory farms to amass great lakes of pig feces? Animal waste makes a fine fertilizer, but not in the kind of quantities we're talking about from factory farms. Let's talk a little more about fish. How about this item? Okay, follow me on this one as this evolves. The article starts out, this is from uh, Matthew Daly in the AP. A former Bush administration official praised the Obama administration's decision to deny endangered species protection for a central California fish. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service ruled this week that the Sacramento split-tail fish does not warrant protection under the Endangered Species Act. The decision affirms a 2003 decision by the Bush administration to remove the split-tail from the threatened species list. Okay, you with me so far? Julie McDonald, a former Bush-era interior official who was closely involved in the 2003 case, said the latest decision confirmed what the science indicated all along. She said, quote, Well, I think it was the right decision, and it was right the first time, unquote. Apparently, Julie McDonald now works as a consultant for the Westlands Water District in Central California. She's sought to avoid the news media since resigning in 2007 amid accusations that she improperly influenced dozens of endangered species cases, including the 2003 decision on the Sacramento split tail. Get this. The Bush administration later reversed seven rulings that denied endangered species increased protection, saying that McDonald's actions had tainted the decisions. The article goes on to note that preserving protections for the split tail could have required flooding the area near McDonald's 80-acre farm in Dixon, a fact that environmental groups repeatedly cited in calling for her to recuse herself from the case. But McDonald said that 
Her farm was miles away from the Sacramento River where the fish is found and that her property would not have been affected by flooding needed to benefit the split tail. It notes that in a prominent environmental group, the Arizona-based Center for Biological Diversity did apologize to McDonald in 2009 as part of a settlement of a defamation suit which she filed. In its apology, which is posted on the group's website, Executive Director Kieran Suckling said that the center retracts and apologizes for any statement that you alone were personally responsible for what CDB asserts was the government's illegal split-tail decision. Adding, the group's comments were not intended to impugn your character. Suckling, however, said that he still believes McDonald should have recused herself from the split-tail case. Adding, he was not surprised that she now works for the Wetlands Water District, which is the nation's largest irrigation district and a key player in the ongoing fight over water restrictions imposed to protect the threatened Delta smelt. Said Kieran Suckling, Julie McDonald is the epitome of the revolving door between Bush administration officials and industry. And how about this article by Greg Gordon from McClatchyDC.com? Article is titled, San Jose Broker Sounded Early Siren, No One Listened. According to the article by Greg Gordon, former Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson, Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke, and other top government officials have said they didn't notice the dangers that Michael Bloomquist saw in the runaway California housing market until five years after he did. As home prices and loan amounts in Silicon Valley, one of the nation's hottest markets, began mushrooming in late 2003, Bloomquist said lying, scheming, and recklessness were becoming everyday occurrences. He was a San Jose real estate and mortgage broker, and he was sure that the inflated incomes on loan applications and tricky loans would lead to a housing bubble with disastrous consequences. Refusing to commit what he described as, quote, felony mortgage fraud, unquote, he closed his offices in January 2004, long before the housing meltdown, and began a sort of one-man crusade to expose what he called a criminal conspiracy to turn the housing market into a giant Ponzi scheme. Over the next four years, Bloomquist futilely tried to dissuade clients and friends from putting their life savings into pricey homes. He wrote letters warning federal regulators and members of Congress that mortgage fraud was creating a perfect storm in the housing industry. Acting as his own attorney, he even waged a federal court fight against some of the biggest subprime players, as well as Henry Paulson. He accused them of conspiring to fraudulently inflate home prices and asked the court to bar the issuance of one widely used type of risky mortgage. In the end, however, his warnings brought no serious actions until the bubble began to burst. And you know what? We need to get Michael Bloomquist on the show, and we're going we're gonna to try and do that. But we've only got three minutes left today, so um, let's go out with some zingers. Said uh, Jay Leno a week or two ago, Christine O'Donnell has a new campaign ad where she says she's not a witch. Apparently Nancy Pelosi was furious. She said, hey, that's my slogan. All right, two more from Leno. We're now in the longest, deepest recession since the Great Depression. When this recession started, Lindsay Lohan was known for her acting. And I can't resist this one. Jay Leno. Linguists have discovered a new language spoken by a remote tribe in India that's understood by only a thousand people. I believe that language is called tech support. You know what? We've been kind of gloomy here this last, uh, last segment. We need to perk things up. Let's go back to those para- 
Prosdokians. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Actually, I don't care if I'm pronouncing it right. Let's do at least five more. How about this one? Going to a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. I definitely like this one. I asked God for a bike, but I know God doesn't work that way. So I stole a bike and asked for forgiveness. Here's one I like. I'm going to modify it slightly. Why does someone believe you when you say that the Milky Way galaxy is 100,000 light years across, but always check when you say the paint is wet? Here's a good one. To be absolutely sure of hitting the target, shoot first and call whatever you hit the target. And finally, when tempted to fight fire with fire, remember that the fire department usually uses water. All right, that about does it for the show. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. Our thanks to America's foremost political comic, Will Durst. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. As we go out, I want to throw in one final quote. An oldie but a goodie. It's definitely an oldie because it comes from Cato the Elder, who lived between 234 and 149 B.C. He said, After I am dead, I would rather have men ask why Cato has no monument than why he has one. (laughs) 